Immigrant Outlaws is a low-budget indie film that looks like a big-budget Hollywood feature. There is such a great humanistic thing, and I think one of the values and qualities of life is connecting with people. For me, the producing is a necessary evil. Well, wow, that got deep for a second. That was like a little psych psychology session. I cannot wait to hear this, because if you have the answers, I'm like, this is the best experience of my life. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle podcast, where normal people living extraordinary lives share their experiences with you. All right. So today I'm super excited to have this, uh, the guest we have on today. So I'll read a quick bio, then we'll dive into it. So Sean McEwen is an award-winning director, writer, and producer who has earned various awards, including Best Feature at the prestigious Boston Film Festival for the movie Breaking for Wales. For the same movie, he also won Best of the Fest at the Sanctuary International Film Festival. Sean has also won the AOI International Best of Fest Award for Happy's Last Wish. Sean produced the theatrically released feature films Another Happy Day, starring Demi Moore, Kate Bosworth, Ellen Barkin, Thomas Hayden Church. And he also produced the film Bernie, which was directed by Richard Linklater, starring Jack Black, Matthew McConaughey, and Shirley MacLaine. And the Tribeca selected an award-winning film, Graceland, which was a New York Times critic pick. Sean's newest film projects include writing and producing the life story of a five-time world boxing champion named Johnny Tapia, co-produced by Mike Tyson, and American Outlaws, a true-life crime drama based on the award-winning GQ article, The Whole True Story of the Doggerty Gang. This film was just premiered at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. So with that, Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. I first want to take note, I'm so, so happy to be here today. But I, I love the, the sort of moniker about what encapsulates what you guys are. I love how it's normal people doing extraordinary things. I'm glad that I fall in that hope, the normal people category. Because sometimes I wake up, I go, I don't know. Especially I have right. two kids. I do not feel normal at all. So yeah. that's an amazing way to kind of you know kick it off. But no, great to meet you guys. And thank you for your time. Awesome, awesome. So I have 101 questions um, as it relates to being a writer, a producer, and director. But before I get into that, uh, in doing the research to prepare for this, I came across a review for your recent movie. I just want to read this review so that our mm -hmm. listeners get a sense of this guy's the real deal in terms of his skill set as, as it pertains to writing, director, producing. So this review is from the uh, movie that just premiered at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. So there, and this is just an excerpt of the review. When you're at the end of your rope and life has shoved you into the corner, the only people you can count on is family. One such story is Sean McEwen's thriller, American Outlaws, based on the true 2012 story of the Doggerty Gang. American Outlaws, and this is, this is what stood out to me, this, this part of the, uh, the review. American Outlaws is a low-budget indie film that looks like a big-budget Hollywood feature. Mm. However, writer-director Sean McEwen knows how to shoot an action thriller from close-up camera angles and his daytime temperature film that makes everything look like it was shot during magic hours. 
These close-up shots elevate the action sequences during the car chases and shootouts. And again, that's how it's done on a cheap and it looks incredible. So that's just one of the, the reviews that's I came so across. Nice. So I want to talk about that film. Let, let, let's, let's start there. What made you decide to do this film? And then we'll dive deeper into you and, and how you got into this industry. Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. I think, you know, in, in your pursuits and one's pursuits of especially something that could maybe be uh, put into the section of the arts is you want to tell great stories, you know, stuff that I hope, you know, can get out there and can, you can share, you can share a world, you can share characters and experiences and actually connect with people. I mean, isn't that kind of why, I mean, you guys are even doing this podcast. It's like, there's such a great humanistic thing. And I think one of the values and qualities of life is connecting with people. And it doesn't mean necessarily always preaching to people, but just let's just have a conversation. And I found this story did a lot of that. It's a, a bit of a complex story in a sense that, uh, look, just to kind of put it in a nutshell, it's about these three siblings that went on this cross-country crime spree. And one could say, yes, it has all this sort of salacious bells and whistles that make an interesting kind of cinematic story. It's the sister uh, was a former stripper toting an AK-47. And with her brothers, they're getting into shootouts with the police and robbing banks and all this crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about family. And I will say this without getting too much into it, that it's it's one of those stories where it's not necessarily like the good guys are wearing white hats and the bad guys are wearing black hats. It's the in-between of it all that's kind of interesting in the kind of area to explore. Um, so a lot of that, when I found the story, um, really was what inspired me to want to dive in. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, because I think this is kind of interesting, but the diving in part, as you make these movies, takes you down these rabbit holes. And um, I actually had the opportunity to meet um, the actual uh, siblings that this was based on who are currently each serving very extended terms in uh, three separate federal prisons. So that brought me to those prisons and going inside and meeting them in person and ingratiating myself to them and garnering their trust and eventually the rights to actually tell their story. And that's kind of how all this started and, and got me into all this. So yeah, yeah. you never know. You never know, guys, where it's going to take you. Sure, sure. Yeah, I've seen the preview, and I'm actually going to link um, the clip, uh, the preview clip to this podcast um, show notes so everyone can check it out. Incredible um, clip. It, it's action-packed. It draws you in. I think the clip is a minute and 59 seconds. And that short period of time, at the end of the clip, I felt like, wait, where's the rest? I wanted to see the rest of the movie, you know? So um, it's, 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 it's engaging. I, I love the movie. If you have a chance, when, when can we see it? Let me start there. When can we well, actually, actually it's funny. We're just now in sort of what we call our festival phase. So we're really sure. fortunate to premiere, as you mentioned, the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which is like a top 10 fest and, uh, tends to get a lot of attention because they do tributes to all the Oscar films. So all the Oscar, you know, talent comes up and also participates in the festivities. Uh, so it brings a lot of attention, which is great for a smaller film like ours. Um, so, uh, we have various festivals that we'll be appearing at, but we are just in the middle and we're very fortunate to say that we, um, have a number of different opportunities that have been presented distribution wise. So we're just kind of finalizing that and the film will get out there. Um, the opportunities include a, a theatrical window and then of course being one of the streamers and et cetera. So we're in a really great position for the story to actually have a life and, and be seen, uh, everywhere. So I'm really excited. Awesome. All right, so now let's let's uh, go back to the beginning. So as a kid, where did the idea come from to get into writing, directing, producing? Um, how did this all come about? Oh, um, gosh, that's a great question. 
Okay, let's go way back. I mean, first okay. of all, I'll age myself. I mean, I grew up, I mean, listen, I'm, I was born in the 70s. I won't get too specific about that. Okay, but okay. really, like, you know, cut my teeth in the 80s and I guess a little bit the early 90s. But that was my jam. Like, it was that time period. And that was like, you know, uh, my, my, my father was not in the picture. Um, I grew up with a single mother who worked multiple jobs and was trying to put herself through school. So I was like a latchkey kid. So I would, you know, find myself, uh, and if we know that term, you know, you just, I, I was an only child. So, you know, you kind of were a little more uh, independent and self-sufficient, even at a, probably a younger age than I'd ever had my kids, you know, walking themselves home from school and making their own dinner and stuff. But that was just our situation, you know. Um, I grew up right outside St. Louis, um, but also spent a lot of my time in the South because the other Part of my family was like in the Ozarks and uh, Northeast Arkansas, over to like um, uh, West Tennessee in the Memphis area. So, um, so I was very influenced, I think, culturally by you know that kind of Southern kind of um, you know experience. But um, yeah, growing up like that, I mean, I, yeah, I was one of those kids that remembers and can remember seeing Star Wars when it first came out and playing with my Star Wars figures. And I think in some way, you know, when when you're kind of home by yourself and there's not a lot to do, number one, movies. Movies more than even television, but movies and television kind of became my babysitter in a sense, for better or for worse, maybe for better. Um, so I, I, I fell in love with movies; they were my everything. Um, and then also, you know, playing with sounds ridiculous, but playing with Star Wars figures and like kind of directing these little stories and kind of going off the map with the regular Star Wars stories and you know integrating them with a few GI Joe figures and all that stuff. But I mean, that was it. So it was that the music of that time and place, which um, has become very influential. Not only to my own life, but I think also, as I look back on it, becomes almost cinematic in my own romanticism of that time. Like you know, I was really into like hip hop and rap music at the time. But again, you know, that's evolved and stuff. But it brings you back to a place, so that nostalgia finds its way into my, you know, kind of interests and stuff. So I think between all those things, it was a convergence of like being inspired by like culture and art. You know, where I could. I mean, it's not like there was. I wasn't going to the greatest museums in the world or anything like that, but. You know, I was seeing it through the lens of television and film. Again, it's just what my, my experience was. When when you uh, mentioned that your uh, film is an indie film and you mentioned a small budget, just for the audience, what is the the range from a non-indie film to an indie film? I, I mentioned that because we are, I'm in Tampa, Florida, and we have quite a large indie crowd here in Tampa, Sarasota, even in Miami has an indie crowd and based upon where you are, the indie budget can say, Oh, a great indie film is about $25,000. Then you go to maybe Sarasota, like, no, the uh, indie film is 5 million minimum. I wouldn't even start it unless I had five. And then Miami, it's like 10 million before I get started. So that's a large range between what is an indie film. And from your perspective, What's a small? That's. I mean, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of, as you just said, a lot of ambiguity in the definition of that. Uh, I mean, I lived in Los Angeles for uh, multiple decades, and um, you know, you you meet a lot of all types of different, you know, walks of life that are involved in the film industry. But I think collectively, most people agree that an indie film is a film that operates outside the traditional studio system. So it really can be that. It can be a movie that's made for a few dollars to exorbitant amounts of money that you know even a studio might spend on it but again it's not under that same kind of um, system and that system includes everything from soup to nuts development production 
you know, which includes, of course, casting, how that's viewed, to how it's going to be distributed and sold, and how it's going to be marketed and put out there. Um, a number of indie films, if they're lucky, um, also eventually find their way into the studio system, and a lot don't. And a number of indie films are seen, and some never see the light of day. And you know, it's just it's just kind of how it happens. So, I think there's pros and cons to all of it. I mean, for us, for this, I mean, look, if a studio had come along and uh, you know, said like, we're going to make this, you know, like we're going to give you an avatar budget and go and make your movie. I mean, that's amazing. But, you know, usually these kind of stories currently, um, and there's a little bit of a tragedy in this. It's not like it was in the 90s and early 2000s when you had the, you know, the Quentin Tarantinos and the David O. Russells making films and where Spike Lee got his start and stuff where you could go out and like tell a story that wasn't so dead center on the big popcorn fair where you're going to get audiences of millions, but there still is a niche audience that you can build from and still be able to tell the story. Um, so it's harder and harder these days, not to sound like I'm complaining, but at the same time, it's still there. The good news is while the resources aren't, aren't necessarily so great these days, because everybody kind of wants, you know, the big studios want, and this is a, 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 I'm probably overly simplifying this, but you know, they want the big, you know, popcorn fair, like you put a cape on somebody in some tights and we're off and running like the big IP and the comic booky films and all that stuff. Um, but, but, but with the other, you know, you get to be, you know, in the indie space, you could be a little more creative. You can take more chances. Um, you know, the, the, you, it's a little more wild Westy. So, you know, and there, I think there's still a place for those kind of stories. You know, I think it's important. You can go there. Yeah, I agree. And then you mentioned that, um, or Dre mentioned that you're a producer, or a writer, a director. If you had to allocate on a scale of one to ten, you like seventy percent. You love directing, or seventy percent the writing, or it's a third, a third, a third. Okay. Or <laughs> where's your question. passion? So for me, the producing is a necessary <laughs> evil. I would say. Um, I, look, I have really good friends who are very successful producers, are wonderful at it, and they're able to have a very broad skill set that. They can do the logistical part, but all and we're good at it. But it can also be creative. So there's a really creative aspect to it. I don't love producing, but there is that need meets necessity, necessity meets need thing, where you know if you're hustling and you're out there kind of scrapping away trying to get your film made, you start you're going to be producing. You know, so I think first and foremost, I'm a, a writer slash director. Mm -hmm. Probably I would say that first because probably first and foremost a writer. That's where I got my start. Um, it's also very. Uh, inexpensive to be a writer because all you need is a piece of paper and a pencil and nobody can really tell you what to do because you can just start writing, you know, whereas to be a director, you know, you, you've got to have the resources in place to, you know, apply that craft. So it's that. But, um, but yeah, I'd say mostly writer. And now I've had some really great opportunities to direct. Uh, we'll maybe talk about this a little later, but I have a new film uh, that I'm also uh, starting in April, uh, which will be my ne next directorial effort. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I would, qualify those. I think I have a sense based on what you just shared. Um, I obviously the writer is the person who, you know, creates the script, that sort of thing. The director is the person that, and I'm certain that you can illustrate this better than I can, but I'm just trying to wrap my brain around it for you to give you the opportunity to tell me where I'm wrong. The director is the person that, um, makes sure that the vision is executed on film and the producer is the one that makes sure that everything's on budget and on time. Um, is that fair? And what would you add to that in terms of defining the producer and the director? I, I think you said it extremely well, and I'd say that's extremely accurate. However, due to uh, sometimes unforeseen circumstances or just depending on how 
infrastructurally things might work on a per project basis, those lanes and those lines can bleed into each other at times. Um, you may find you know, a director who really truly is like the one stop shop for it all, or it kind of begins and ends with that director and everything kind of serves that director's vision. You might be in a situation where and it could be for you know, a smaller film or if it's a first time director or something where the producer has to really kind of galvanize and even kind of inject from a more creative standpoint and step into that lane, depending on the support that they may see is needed. I think you're right. The producer's true responsibility is, you know, the the budget and making sure that the film comes in on time and in, and on budget, et cetera. But again, you know, producer can take on multiple roles there. But essentially, yeah, that's that's I think that's a pretty accurate way of defining those things. I, you know, interestingly, most have multiple skill sets, and it's it does. It takes a village. <laughs> I think is the best way to okay. say it. Makes sense. So we we spoke to someone else who. Um, has a studio mm. in um, California, Wayfair Studios. And the goal of, of, of that company, uh, Steve Sorowitz, and he was, he was explaining the goal of the, the studio is to put out meaningful content, meaningful mm. films. So far less than what we, what we typically see on the big screen, which is like you were saying earlier, <clears throat> throw on a cape, you know, chase scenes throughout Tokyo and, these, these high dollar areas to draw in audiences and more so, you know, meaningful films, things like that. For you, do you have a goal as it pertains to producing and directing uh, or even when you're, when you're writing types of films you want to create? Are you, are you purely indie or are you, what, what's your, what's yeah, your goal? Yeah. God, man, these are great questions, right? I think, um, I think to me and not to, to, you know, say that I'm necessarily, um, in conflict with the with, with what Steve may have communicated to you, is that I don't know if it's necessarily like that's a meaningful film and that's not, but finding the meaning in any of these films that you're doing, one would hope that even if it's I'm not here to beat up on comic book movies, I love that stuff. I'll go that stuff all day long. Grew up as a comic book fan. I would love to make one of those at some point, but to make sure that it has and you know the ones that we tend to respond to, I think we've all probably seen so many of those. Uh, the ones that are like really impactful have all the bells and whistles of you know the, the capes and the locations and the special effects and the big grandiose. But there is there's something in there that is meaningful. And what does that mean? Is it again the humanistic part that we can all relate to? Is it a flawed character that we see actually has some sort of arc or sense of self realization by the end of it? Are we really going on a real journey? The hero's journey? All those kind of things that I think kind of play into this. So for me. I would hope, and I think what I'm striving for is to always have it in the work that I'm doing, that there's heart. That's probably one of the big things for myself, whether I'm doing like a crime thriller or a dark comedy with some action or, or whatnot, is to have, like, there's got to be smart. You got to care. Like, why, why are we doing this if we don't care about these people? And I think the only other thing is, and that's twofold of this question, this is where I'm going to sound like a maniac, is that um, I've now realized that um, from a psychological standpoint that I personally, the characters that I gravitate towards and the stories I look forward to telling, and I do have my hands in a number of different kind of true life stories, just like the one that I did, that it, it's always these people that are quite flawed and have made some mistakes in their lives, but are um, there's something redemptive about them um, and trying to understand those that are challenging to understand doesn't mean necessarily justifying the things that they did, but there's usually more to the story. It's that gray that I talked about earlier 
to explore that. And that probably, and not that anybody really cares about my own personal background, but probably goes back to my own personal background about my own issues with like, you know, or, or challenges with my own upbringing and my own father who was in and out of trouble his whole life. And it was hard to understand the choices that he made and the things that he did. So I think in some way, you know, and then I'll quote a great filmmaker. Um, I can't take credit for this, but, um, you know, Cameron Crowe saying the stuff that usually works the best is the most personal stuff, you know, that you put on the page and you put on the screen. So, you know, I, I, that's the stuff I think if you can dig deep, you know, that's maybe what I bring to the work that I do is that I could just kind of tell it through my lens and hope that people respond to it, you know? So, yeah. Well, that got deep for a it's, second. It's that was like a little sec- psychology no, no, that's session. Good, that's good. Thank you. I'll send you a check for that. We'll bill you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the first 45 minutes is free. Yeah, oh, and then what happens? Yeah. And then we take right, exactly, it Exactly, yeah. That's right, exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, the connection you have to some of these characters um, might have a something to do with, you know, you mentioned your father and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think for any of us, you know, whatever it is we're doing, if, if there's a connection to it, the final product is likely going to be better. So uh, it makes sense that, that you have that type of connection to it. Tell me this. So it seems like the easy way to make a film, uh, let, me, let me rephrase it, the easy way to get money. I cannot to wait to hear this because if you have the answers, <laughs> I'm like, this is the best experience of my life because I'm going to use this. <laughs> let me get my pencil paper. Go. Tell me, please. I'm begging you. Go ahead. It, it seems like the easiest way to get money for fun, you know, funding for a film is to, there's a key, couple key things that need to happen. I'll, I'll use um, Ice Cube as an example. Mm. When he made Friday, right? There were certain things that the the target audience he knew the target audience wanted sure. to see, you know, humor, humor, uh, relatable things, you know, things that the, the audience can relate to, um, and and and, and whatever it was, he had he had kind of the ingredients for it, and more importantly, if I recall correctly, it was filmed on simply two locations, mm-hmm. so he was able to kind of keep the budget self-contained, low. yeah, and like self-contained, yeah, absolutely, in, in its own way, yeah. right. And so when it, when, he, when it was time to shop it, um, I, I feel like that's you know it's, it's easier to shop and get funding for the for the idea um, or something even bigger. We, we I'll go back to the cape that we mentioned earlier. Nothing wrong with superhero movies. There's nothing wrong with them at all. But I feel like those are much more easily funded. It's easy, much more easy to do a pitch and say, "Hey, we have this superhero." For indie films, for the type of films that you are drawn to. How do you get the funding? That's a great question. I mean, may, may I, before getting into that, may I just pick up on one thing that you said? I think the Friday yes, example please. is a great example. And I would only be speaking from a complete layman's perspective as an outsider looking in just with a humble opinion. Um, but, mm-hmm, you know, sure. that's a great example of something that wasn't made for an extraordinary budget. It was extraordinarily executed. It's a classic. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It found, and I don't want to use the word niche because I think that undermines the, the scope of something, there was an audience for that. And um, uh, you could say specifically a cultural audience, but I think even a multicultural audience that was craving that dirty word, but product in some sense to be entertained, like tell, tell our story, tell, show our world, set it in a place that we can, to use your word, relate to. And I think that was super smart and hit the zeitgeist of something and people were craving it. And I think sometimes if one can make an argument about the world at large, but also specifically the entertainment industry. Because by the way, the argument could be made, don't have to agree here, 
that the entertainment industry in its own way is a reflection of, you know, the general population. Um, you know, it doesn't mean it always gets it right or it's always listening, but it kind of should, you know, because people will respond with what? Their time and their money. And that's kind of what that's about, you know. And then hopefully, again, there's something more elevated that comes out of the experience. But, um, you know, I mean, look, you know, I, I would be so lucky to make a movie like Friday that's amazing, you know. I mean, yeah, so, so uh, I think that's a great point in that sense. I think... Now, what it sounds like Ice Cube did, if we deconstruct this, again, I don't know the real path for this, but I mean, you've got a guy that obviously had a very successful career and was a cultural icon in his own sense and was able to utilize the strength of that to, again, galvanize people to be supportive, whether it was a studio or from an independent space or money or other talent. I mean, look, I mean, the talent in that is just ridiculous. Um, so someone, someone's had their finger on the pulse of that too. I mean, be smart about it. Like bring really talented people and it's just going to elevate everybody. It's like, you know, um, you know, what's that saying? I always get this wrong. Uh, uh, rising tide rises all ships or something like that or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So, 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 you know, from, from that sense. And then also again, like, Hey, look, there's an audience here. Let's give something to the audience that the audience wants and you know, that they can. So I, I think there's that. And the last thing I'll say, which will kind of segue into hopefully answering the question, is that it, it still transported you to a world. I mean, the world that Ice Cube knew and that he seems like you want to talk about was from the streets that he grew up on and the neighborhoods that he grew up on. And um, I think that, you know, film should be in some way, and you got to be careful of the should be, the could be's and the would be words, but should be transportive and show a world and, 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 and know that world and let us see that because wherever walk of life you come from, then you're immersed in something. And that did that. It caught that, you know, on that street corner and the experience of that or on that front porch, porch of that house, what that was like and uh, in South Central or wherever the world might be. And I, I think that that's extremely effective. And I think inherently we as humans want to, yeah, take us to someplace, show us something either we've never seen or show us what we have seen, but let us see it through your perspective of that or a filmmaker's perspective or whatnot. Mm. So that being said, I think it is finding something like that. Um, I think to use the Friday example is to like, the argument can be made, look, there's an audience for this. that's not being served. So let's serve it because you know, that, that, that would be, you know, obviously a smart thing to do. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's finding great material. I think the, like Shakespeare said, the play is the thing. So hopefully writing a great script or finding a great script is where it kind of begins and ends. Uh, uh, well, actually, be before I continue, I should say one uh, thing that I think William Goldwyn said, which is like in our industry, nobody really knows anything. So you talk to 10 people, you could get 10 different perspectives on something. I do not mm -hmm. pretend to like I have all the answers. If I did, I would have flown sure. into your podcast on my gold-plated helicopter and come out with all my you know <laughs> right. diamonds on my fingers and all that. So I, I don't, right. you know, um, but just again, my one man's humble opinion is that mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, finding great material because that will attract potentially the money, talent, actors at the end of the day, especially good actors want to do great things. They want to do great things for their career. They want to connect with the general population. Uh, they want to be known for great work. They want to, they want to also not impress their peers, but again, the respect of their peers is important as artists. There's that collective, that kind of fraternal brotherhood and sisterhood dynamic too. So again, it, it kind of all begins and ends with that great material and then having a plan, um, you know, and even a business plan, you know, it's like, oh, can we make this for a certain price point? Are we doing this in a realistic sense? What needs to be accomplished? How can we take 
very little and make it look bigger because then it's more valuable and worth more. Much easier said than done, but there's so many ways to skin that cat, you know? Um, and then, and then, yeah, it's, it's going out and it's not easy. If, if it's an indie film, it's going out raising money. If it's a studio film, it's finding that great studio partner that will support that vision. And also when I say support that vision, that gets complex too, because the studio is going to have their own ideas about what they want to do with something because they want to make sure they make their money back as would an independent investor. If they, have any idea of what they're really doing and they're not just being overly romanticized by getting in the industry and investing in film, which does happens too. So I, does that answer any of the question? I mean, like it does, it does. <laughs> I just want to make sure I just want to kind of, uh, no, please here. So in terms of getting the funding, what's key is making sure that you have, and again, I, I heard you say it's kind of a dirty word as, but so I'll use it loosely, but having a product or a film that, um, that investors see as worth investing in. So generally speaking, in very general terms, because I realize it, it's, it's going to vary based on the film and that sort of thing. Funding comes from crowdfunding. And, and this is a question. Crowdfunding comes from studios, comes from private it, investors. It, great. It's, it's all the above. And I don't mean to be ambiguous in answering your question, but it really, it really does. It depends. And sometimes it can come from, you know, you could start on one track and end up in a different track. It just, you just, you just don't really know because it's going to depend on it's, it, you know, it's, it's a time and a place and it depends on what the appetite is at that moment. And that, and the markets are very fickle and they want something one day and the next day they don't or vice versa. So you just, you know, it, it, that, that's why it's, you know, it's a risky business. It's a gamble. It's not easy. The old saying where everyone would be doing it, you know, but it, when it works, it can be the most amazing thing ever. Um, I can tell you from my own experience, like how we raised money or have raised money and it's been different ways. But again, starting with a real plan, having the foundation of a really piece of solid material to begin with, sometimes you'll want to go out and we've had the good fortune. And then we, we probably have to drill down on this too, but like getting a piece of talent of some significance attached to this. Uh, some would say, and again, if I'm getting too inside baseball and any of this, tell me and pull me back from this, you know, but, but, you know, um, one of the driving forces or driving engines to especially, especially the independent space, um, the space that will maybe come out the other side and still be able to work with the studio, but could still get the film out regardless is to have a significant piece of known talent because, well, what does that mean? Well, you would hope that the significant piece of known talent, a name, um, would, uh, I hate to use the word celebrity cause that starts to go into a different area, but, but yeah, like a celebrity, someone, you know, um, is because if they're recognizable, someone might want to buy what they're selling. And what are they selling? Like, come see my film because you know what to get to me. I know if you go to like a Tom Hanks, a Denzel Washington, I mean, why are they two of the biggest stars, you know, ever? And they get paid accordingly is because people want to see their films. You know, it's going to be good. Just even a bad, is there like, you know what I mean? Like a bad Denzel, bad Tom Hanks film still isn't bad. Like they can kind of do it. You can almost put them in anything. Yeah. Read the phone book and it's amazing. Like, it's like, so, you know, it, it works. But, but, you know, if you're going to make a film and you have name talent, it's going to appeal to what we call the global market space because that's what they have to go off of. They may not know or have the analytics and nobody really knows what's going to work. You know, you make a film, you can make a great film. It just doesn't, just doesn't get out there. It just doesn't capture the attention. Sometimes even a mediocre film for some reason just does well. It just, it's just, it's a very fickle, fluid situation, but how you can hedge your bets are, okay, you've got, name talent in here. So all of a sudden these 
from a, a foreign market perspective or a global perspective, each of the markets needs a certain number of, we, there's such an insatiable appetite for content, especially now more than ever. So each market, each territory needs product. They need stuff. And if they don't, then they're not putting it on their streamers. They're not putting it on their um, their AVODs and their PVODs and all that kind of stuff. Or in their movie theaters, if you could get so fortunate and all that. So they need stuff. AVOD, yeah, yeah, sorry. AVOD, so AVOD being like, um, uh, like uh, it's maybe like a like a for example here in the states it'd be something like a Tubi or something where you can watch um you know uh, the content but you would watch like a commercial with it which kind of pays for the fact that you're watching it and then gotcha. PVOD meaning like gotcha. you know the stuff where you actually will just pay for the movie like we back in the day we used to call it pay per view and stuff but now it's just you know so you yeah, it's yeah. A, you know the the premium video on demand um so so and there's you know different ways to see content different kind of platforms that it can live on but each of these markets will assign kind of, you know, the type of film that you have. Well, if it's a genre film, those tend to be a little more straight and narrow, so they can sell that. If it's a horror film or a thriller or an action film, you know, there, there's that. And they kind of know what their own marketplace, like, and it sounds bizarre, but there's a little bit of a science to it. Like Italy, France, the UK, South Africa, et cetera, they, they kind of have an understanding of what works in their marketplace. And they also have a really distinct understanding because they've done so many films or, or bought so many films, like American content films. We're still one of the biggest providers, the US, of this product to the world. Um, not the only one. There's a lot of emerging communities that are now um, the Indian film market, the uh, Asian film market, China in particular. But um, they know that what you know the talent is, I hate to use this word because we're talking about real people, but they're worth so in a way, like you put a name in something and that, that auto, all of a sudden, oh, you've got something of value and you can kind of build from there. And that can then attract the financing. And that financing, from if you're doing that model, can come from the independent space of like a private equity investor. So it is that kind of thing. Do you know people? Do you know people with money? Do you know other investors who've worked on other films that might be interested in your, doing the same thing with your film? Because hopefully they had a good experience with their last film. Or there are sales companies that you can plug into and start to work with that are uh, willing to start to put up the money when you started to assemble the project. So you can still kind of keep control over it uh, and make your movie, but you're kind of, and they used to do more of this kind of pre-selling for each territory. And then that becomes valuable and you can take the guarantee of those pre-sells. Again, they're pre-selling it. They're kind of giving you um, like a guarantee of like, okay, well, if I'm this country, I'll give you this much money because that's how much we would buy it for if you have if you have that talent involved for that kind of a film. And then you can take that and you can bank it with certain banks that will work with that and will give you a loan against that. So now all of a sudden you start to assemble when you collect enough of those that you can now finance your film. And that's a way to do it. Um, there's also the way where just a big wealthy individual comes in and writes a check. That happens. There's the way that you said the crowdfunding where you say you grew up, I'll just make up a state, you grew up in Michigan and you know a bunch of dentists. This is kind of how uh, I remember like Sam Raimi who did all the early Spider-Man films and the Evil Dead films and all the great filmmaker. Um, I think he did one of the last um, uh, Doctor Strange movies too. Uh, but you know, I think he mentioned talking about like one of his first films that he did, he went to all the, he knew in the town or the area they grew up, like the dentists had a lot of money and maybe a lot of disposable income. So he went to each of the dentists and got you know them to invest in a film he made a small film but he got them to kind of throw in a few bucks and it was kind of interesting it ended up doing very well and he's a very talented filmmaker there's that way as well and then the studio way is a whole different beast in itself if a studio is interested in something yeah, and you have the ability to kind of get in that door and present it to 
their their development teams and it kind of goes up the ranks and eventually gets say approved or green lit green lighting means like we're making the film we're paying for it we're paying for your services we're paying for your script we're paying for you to write the script whatnot then you're in that whole ecosystem and 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 then there's that term development hell which sometimes you can get stuck in any of these systems and it just you hear this you hear about that book that you love that some studio options mm. and all of a sudden well where'd that go like i remember they were talking about making that and it's still they're still working it out it still doesn't get made or that biopic that you're so excited to see because they're gonna finally do a movie about so and so where'd that go and you know that's it happens and there's a lot of reasons that that happens but you know with the studio the studio does have a built-in infrastructure from soup to nuts so the benefit of the studio is that you know they have a huge marketing infrastructure that can you know push this out globally. So there's something wonderful about that. They obviously have their own you know financing resources, so they can pay for it. Um, you know, but there's a lot more chefs in the kitchen. You know, um, one could say they're arguing with me. Again, this is my humble opinion. So you're you're answering to a lot of bosses. You know, a lot that are going to have and 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 from their perspective, justifiably so, their own reason to say. No, we think you should kind of do that scene more like that. Or, oh, no, that's a little too – you're going to alienate part of the audience. So I know that was the original intention. That's what the script said. But why don't we take that away and put a really fluffy, sweet-looking dog in that scene instead? Because audiences love dogs. You know, mm. I mean, ridiculous stuff like that. I mean, I'm being silly. but so it could be yeah, a blessing Totally. And, a and it can be a blessing and a curse to do an indie film. It could all be a blessing and a curse. And usually it all is at the same time because what does not kill us makes us stronger. So anyway, does that help? hopefully answer the question a little bit? Tell me when, so you mentioned coming up in the seventies um, with, when you look at the film production, the whole entertainment industry as of today with Netflix, Hulu, Prime, all these different platforms. Whereas we go back to the seventies and eighties, it didn't seem like we had that many because we didn't have the online streaming and the viral capabilities. In this space today, what would you say to yourself if you met you Currently, but you're 25 years, 30 years younger, and you want to get into this film world. Would you pursue Netflix? Would you pursue Hulu? Or would you go like, you know what, I'm going to go to NYU Film School or UCLA Film School and learn the business side of it? Or I'm going to just be a writer. I'm going to just learn how to write. How would you coach you if you met you 20 years later and it's um, now? Man, and what's so interesting about what you just said with that question is, how would you coach you? Because one could attempt to answer that question in a very generalized term or it could apply to everybody. But if I was speaking to myself, and maybe this is helpful to some people, but I think it would be, look, I think it is great to have a plan because knowing the market. Now, look, if you're one of the people, like so let's say you're a writer and you want to write for the marketplace, I mean, that maybe isn't the worst idea in the world. I mean, I don't know. Everything works differently for different people. But um, you could be chasing that and not really, you know, catch that tiger by the tail, or maybe you can, um, you know, because it's always changing. You just don't ever know. And you also don't know what's going to work for you and maybe bring out your best work. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit of a roll of the dice in my humble opinion. So it, because it's all a roll of the dice, how would I answer that for myself? But my, you know, if go back 25 years or something is that, um, I think write what you love and write what you know, and try to, and this is so much easier said than done. But trying to figure out, and I'm still trying to do this, although I think about it a little bit better than it does, like try to figure out who you are. And, and it's going to sound like such an up itself thing that I'm about to say, so please forgive me. And I don't want to make anybody, excuse my French, throw up from what I'm about to say. But, but like as an artist, 
but like know the type of artist that you are, you know, because that's the unique thing, you know, that Smiley or Dre that you guys could bring to the table with something. Nobody's going to tell a story like Smiley's going to tell a story. Nobody's going to tell a story like Dre. Whatever Dre's experiences were either growing up that some in, somehow imprint themselves into the music or art or film that Dre might be creating is, and, I'm, and see, I'm already putting this on Dre. Dre, I'm expecting you to do all those things next time I talk to you. I want to see songs. I want to see scripts and all this stuff. <laughs> the pressure, is, the pressure. Is that, is that like knowing who you are and knowing that, and it's this reminder because we forget this. It's almost like it's we're not allowed to feel this way. But man, you're special. Like there's nobody that's been. There's no other you. And if you do you, then you can always fall. Like like I would rather be turned away because I'm being me than me trying to be something else or be somebody else. Or try to chase something else because I wouldn't even know what that's like, and I don't. I, that's so unauthentic. Like I just don't think it would work, you know. Um, for me, at least, you know. So I, I, I'm not. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good that I can try to be like that other writer. I can. Ju- I can just be me, and hopefully, you know, somewhere somebody out there like gets it, you know. And, and I like to kind of foster that. So, so would you send you to uh, NYU? Would you say go to school, or would you say to say write, be fi- know thyself, and because we're talking to you, but you're in the current era. Yeah. And would you go to Netflix yeah. or just follow around the show so to me, get on the I actor? I would never tell somebody don't go to film school because that's work for so many. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the greatest filmmakers all the time. Some of the greatest filmmakers and some of my fam- yeah. f- favorite filmmakers never even finished high school, to be honest with you, you know? So it's just different things for different people. But for me, mm-hmm. I think the best schooling that I ever had was the school of hard knocks. No, um, the school of, I mean, <laughs> that would be hysterical, but is, is, is yeah. wa- watching every consuming. I was so obsessed with movies. It was and still is everything to me. It is my favorite thing to do. Even though the business can frustrate me, even though sometimes going to the movies can frustrate me, but I love it. There's nothing, and I love going to the theater and being there with other people in this dark room, and we don't even know each other, but we're about to. I get goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps right now. We have this collective experience, and all of a sudden, we're going to be, to use that word again, transported to something. I'm going to see somebody's vision up on the screen, and I'm going to maybe have the opportunity to connect with that individual and all those individuals put their craftsmanship into this and all the people in this room and we're kind of going to see the same thing although we're seeing it kind of bringing our own baggage our own shit into it and all that kind of stuff which is amazing you know mm. so i think for me i would say to young filmer like watch everything there's a reason the greats are the greats like watch all of them you know and also it's okay because awesome. learn everything you can and then throw it out the window and do your thing but there's kind of something about that like you know, it's a great place to start, you know, like that, that whole thing. I, I don't think me going to film school would have been my jam. You know, I think uh, experiencing life is good. Like also getting out there and doesn't mean you have to be dangerous to yourself and live on the edge. I mean, there are great filmmakers who've done that too and had those life experiences to bring to it. But be open to it because, again, for me, that's been helpful because the stories I want to tell are about people that have done a lot of kind of extreme things. And like to have some kind of understanding, maybe even, dare I say, some empathy for that has been, I think, a useful tool in the stuff that I want to attempt to do. So, yeah, I sound so preachy today, guys. <laughs> Sorry. I like no, I love no, you're good, answer. man. You're good. This is the detail we look for. Exactly. And, and one last one before I turn it back to Dre is um, 
because you're on this podcast and Dre knows a ton of yeah. private equity guys. And tomorrow <laughs> someone's like, I got a oh hundred million dollars for you, Sean, to write whatever movie you want. What what kind of movie and who would to be your dream actor, well, actresses oh, I, or location? The title, the, the title of the movie would be the Dre and Smiley podcast movie. I was just gonna say that I swear to God, I was gonna say I was gonna say if I if you gave me if you gonna give me ninety nine million I wouldn't do it but if you gave me a hundred million I'd make the Smiley and Dre story is what I do so you just took my joke uh, but no, no. listen but I by the it. way uh, I, lately and then, although my next film is not this it has been a lot of you know kind of finding those truth is stranger than fiction true life stories and telling those kind of stories so I think finding something that is that, that people may have an understanding of or an inkling of. There's so much source to it because it's really been experienced. Maybe you can interface with a real person or a person's, you know, I love those ideas of stories that are either um, ordinary people finding them in extraordinary situations or extraordinary people finding themselves in ordinary or like elevated situations, but they're still extraordinary people. All those kind of things are really fascinating to me. So I think if I had that, I think, Listen, working with the actors, and I can name a laundry list of actors because the they're they're really talented. I mean, usually the ones that kind of that we could name the names of, they're ta- there's a reason that they're doing what they're doing. They're talented. They're bringing something to the table. The, I think the greatest thing about doing what I'm blessed to do every now and then is to make a film. You can't do in a bubble. You have to work with others. You know, it is a collective. It takes a village. And I think that the fact that you can interface with other amazing artisans in every department because every department is so crucial to it. It's not your director, producer, writer, actor. That's all you hear. No. I mean, and then we know this, if you watch the Oscars, there's the editor, there's the sound design team in person. There's, you know, the, the every wardrobe and costume, all those things make the film. You forget. It's all of that music. How important is music? And, you know, because this industry, you can make a really a great living. And there's a lot of people that want to pursue it. A lot of them are attracted. So you're working with some of the greatest artisans in the world. What a blessing. So yeah, if I had all that kind of money and hopefully people believed in what I was doing, I would just, I would be a dream come true to just work with talented people. And the greatest thing about uh, directing that I can say now is that you get to take credit for all their great stuff that they do. I'm just kidding. But you kind of do because people think like, uh, we, we just had a review that came out and they went on and on. They were giving me credit for this stuff that really was my director of photography was the one who like really executed. To, and I have to give him credit. I mean, just, it was, it was great. It was so nice of them to, you know, and it is a team thing and there's obviously input coming from myself and from other areas and stuff like that. But it is, it is funny like that. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I want to work with the greatest actors in the world. I mean, just to see what we can do. What can we explore? What can we create? You know, I, I will say this, what I'm really blessed about for my next project is that, you know, I think what I'm starting to recognize is the ability to also, you know, uh, broaden out the stories. I mean, I grew up, you know, in a somewhat homogenized kind of, you know, growing up in the South, you know, there was a, a delineation, culturally speaking, not that things didn't cross culture at all. They did. And they a lot of times did through art, like music and film and television. But at the same time, there was a separation. And then you moved, I moved to New York at a very young age. And then I was like a mind blown because it's like every walk of life, everywhere, mm. working together, living together, fighting together, all of it. And then Los Angeles, kind of the same thing and all this kind of stuff. So I think now I'm finding myself in this place of art where you can turn it on its ear and like, hey, conventionally, like, oh, I'm going to tell this kind of movie. And usually I'm going to be very frank with you. It would be, well, that would be 
pro- and there's reasons for this that I'm not proud of that are the history of the film business, but like, oh, well, probably, you know, a white person would be playing that role or, you know, uh, uh, that would be looked through the lens of someone who's more like heterosexual or something like that. And now you can diversify and I'm excited to stretch the wings of and like, let's turn things on its ear and let's tell the story through a different lens and let's go non-traditional on this because what does that even mean anymore? What does traditional mean anymore? And I think the more of that, I mean, that's the world that I want my kids to see. So I'm excited that it's, we don't have to stay in that kind of lane anymore. And that's, you know, for me, that's the kind of stuff that I would like to be involved in. I feel very blessed, you know, in that way to be able to do that. Tell me this, Sean. So um, is it tough? You, you, you are a writer, director, and producer. You've been doing it for a while. Is, you mentioned that you watch a, watch a lot of movies. Is it tough to really just enjoy the movie without, in your mind, critiquing it and, and looking? So, something I do, and I don't even work in the industry, is when I'm watching a movie, subconsciously, I look to see if I can see the boom arm hanging down in the, in the scene or to see if, they, if the cut wasn't a clean cut from one scene to the next. Um, I look at these, you know, these little things, and I'm not in the industry. I can only imagine how the, the potential for it to be challenging for you, who's a producer, director, and writer, to just sit back with your popcorn and just laugh. Yeah, so if you see me in the movie theater, I'll be sitting in the seat. Sometimes I go off into the movies by myself just because we have kids and stuff, and I'll, when I get a chance, run off and do that. And I'm the guy that literally there's smoke coming up from the seat because I'm seething with jealousy as I look at all the other filmmakers and these amazing <laughs> things they're doing. No, actually, it's not that at all. I, I really do feel like I'm not on some altruistic pedestal or something, but I have such an appreciation, I think, because yeah. movies, to get a movie made, whatever system we're talking about, you know, independent film, studio film, everything in between, whatever that is, are a miracle. It's, it's almost an impossibility. So when something gets done, that's such an achievement in itself. And then when it's also done arguably well, that is a whole nother level of how did that happen and what greatness is that, you know? So usually when something's seeing the light of day to that extent, you know, there's some merit to it because there is a system. Although we all see there's crappy movies that get out there. I mean, it just happens. You know? And again, great movies that you're like, why didn't yeah, that yeah, get yeah. Why, How did nobody ever talk about this movie? Like we see that all the time. It's, it is flawed. It's not perfect. But, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I think if a, if a movie's good, you're, you're not going to think of those things. I think those things start to jump out when... You know, there, you know, there's some issues, there's some bumps, there's some hiccups and things like that. But for me, for the most part, I, I just, I just want to, I mean, it sounds terrible to say, like, I just want to escape like probably everybody else does. It's just immerse myself in two hours of just sure. unplugging and take me away and show me something I've never seen before. Show me it through from a different perspective or a different lifestyle or something, you know? So that's what I enjoy, you know? I, I'm not okay. so nitpicky like that. Although, okay. listen, and then I say that and do I ever notice like, what? I do see that boom mic up there. What's going on there? They got to reframe that shot a little bit. So, you know, right, right, right. That. that's also my fear. Like, I don't want to be someone watching one of my movies and they're like, why'd that cut happen? Well, I can tell you why that cut because we missed getting right, the coverage right, on that right. shot. I, I just want to share this one thing that during the pandemic, sure. when everyone was locked down in the world and I started, I was binge watching uh, Netflix. And two that I, I mentioned is, or one is, oh, I started watching a lot of Korean films. Yeah. And I thought they were interesting in the sense that the one I saw was a serial killer killing serial, other serial killers. It was just a different twat on it. And, and then when you mentioned you grew up in the Ozarks or you were familiar with that, I would just binge watch the Ozarks on Netflix. So, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the pandemic with no Netflix or Hulu or 
all of our streaming sites. So I, I, I fully understand what you mean by escape yourself and immerse yourself into a, a series or into a, a movie just to escape the world. So whatever you, everything that you're doing is amazing. So thank you for giving us that reprieve. Well, what, what you said was so cool too, because like, look at how we become such a global community too. Like at this point, you're seeing movies from, mm -hmm. yes, you could say in your backyard, but the Ozarks is distinctly its own place. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, all these movies have been made about that region necessarily, but now there's a voice and stories to be told and even filmmakers coming from these places to Korea to every point in between and beyond. And I think that's what's exciting too. Like I want to hear all those, those stories and to hear how dissimilar uh, those experiences mm. might be, but also similar. And that's what's inspiring. I mean, I love it. Like everybody's got, and now like I think about my kids and I think if they wanted to get into this or any kind of, the resources are there. Like what you can do with an iPhone and the stories that you can tell, like it used to be you had to have a lot of money just because technically speaking to execute uh, making a film has now it's not you could I mean it's crazy and just content you know just creating content what you can do is just it's a, it's an unbelievable renaissance type age you know it really is as much of a traditionalist as I am it's still it's very exciting it really is so uh, two questions before we hit the uh, the final four so one uh, you mentioned perspective to help us get a perspective of how you view um, your directing your director your, how you direct and produce. Give me your top, and this could change tomorrow. It could change in an hour. Sure. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? Until oh, easy. And it, ha it has to be something that that I'll know. So I don't. I haven't watched very many indie. indie <laughs> I movies. told you it's the it's the unmade Dre and Smiley <laughs> that's movie. It, that's, that's my it, favorite. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are you kidding? Yeah, is and now we've gone full circle. I'm writing that script tonight. Yeah, yeah exactly. A lot of guys, and, and, and this, this would probably be different for you, but a lot of guys, you know, they're like, you know, Scarface, uh, Brian Godfather, De Palma, and Francis Ford Coppola. Um, yeah. What are the some top ones? But but for you, what's what's a movie you felt just well made? There, that is it's a really difficult question to answer because if anyone who and, loves and again, film, there's, there's, a, there's a hundred the of them. But just at, at this moment, one and, that comes but, but to I mind. Have, I think a criteria that helps to distill someone trying to answer. Cause I ask, I talk about this shit with my friends all the time. Like I'm like, you know, like we, yeah. which favorite movie and why, or why'd you like that? No. But yeah. mine is yeah. this, it's something that truly stands the test of time, not just from a critical standpoint or the critics or even the general population, but for yourself that like, you know, those movies and, and you just even named a few where you're like, you've, you've seen it, you've seen it a hundred times. You could be, you, you know, like I've seen that movie so many times and you, you're sitting on your couch, you turn on the TV and it just happens to be 20 minutes into it, an hour and a half into it, you're like, oh shit, I got to watch it again because I can't get out. Like when Goodfellas yeah. comes on, I'm like, I can't not watch right. that movie. I mean, are you kidding me? But, right. but so there's, so to me, it's that, it's that movie that's so good that not only is it, is it always in its own way fresh, even though I know every single it feels like I know every frame that's ever been done of that and every line and I can quote the lines and, and I feel the music composition and all that kind of stuff. I think it's that, but I also think it's the fact that, you know, um, you know, why it can personally resonate to you. And I, and I think, so for me, uh, personally, if anybody cares, it was like, I, we going back to friends for Coppola is one of my favorite filmmakers. His early work is, is apocalypse now. Um, it's, uh, it's obviously an opus of a movie. It, it almost feels like it almost killed yeah. the filmmaker to make it. If you want to, I also, by the way, I'll say this. If you want to see what I personally think is probably the definitive and one of the best 
if not the best, documentaries on making a movie is um, Hearts of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse, which is done by a wonderful filmmaker who was a friend of mine named George Hickenlooper, um, which was made years ago, which took the personal home video of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's wife as he was making the movie because she filmed their experience as a family as they supported Francis in making the movie. It is amazing because it's all the behind the scenes. And that is a movie because it was so big and so many, so ambitious that, and, and had a filmmaker who was truly an artist and was raging against the storm, raging against the machine every step of the way to make his film. Uh, it's, it's the most fascinating insight into the craziness of making a movie and how he, again, eventually created one of the best films or top 10 films of all time, a lot of people would say. Plus, that movie is truly, it's, it's based on, you know, the novella by Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness, and it truly has that, that hero's journey in it. So it, it adheres to that, you know, as we move down the river deeper into the heart of darkness, there is, you know, this experience of this main character who is, you know, stopping along the way, continuing to learn about not only his environment outside of himself, but inside of himself until he finally kind of meets you know, and there's this kind of comes to its fiery conclusion uh, in that movie. It's when the Martin Sheen character meets Colonel Kurtz, which is played by Marlon Brando, uh, because he has this objective, this journey to go and, you know, kill this essentially rogue officer uh, who's gone, you know, off the map. And, uh, you know, in a, in a sense, it's 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 all about that. And I think that that movie just is everything to me. Like, I just I can't ever stop. And it has the greatest actors, some of the greatest actors of all time at the greatest pinnacle of their artistic craftsmanship um all coming together and you know the music the oh my god the cinematography the storytelling the writing i mean it just every and by the way i'll say this as a little side note too for a movie to be good so many of those things have to work for a movie to be great every single one of those things has to be great or, or the best mm. and that is almost impossible. Hence why those mm -hmm. films that we all hold near and dear and probably almost collectively can say are, wow, that amazing. It, it, it is almost a, an impossibility, but every now and then it happens and it all comes together and, and that's why they stand the test of time and become classics, you know, in my humble opinion. Okay, so one, one quick question and then I'll send it to Smiley and, uh, for the final four. What's one thing that people don't know about you that you wish they knew? Uh... That they that I wish they knew. Um, I don't know if there's anything that I wish they knew. I'm a very sensitive soul. I have just like a heart. <laughs> that I, I mean, I think the thing that people don't know about me, not that I necessarily need them to wish, you know, that I knew that they knew about me, but is that um, you know, I I, I really like to laugh. I love comedy stuff and everything. But I this sounds ridiculous, to say, but I I you have like this you know sort of dark side and not so much in practice like I'm walking the streets at night you know looking for trouble or something like that but like there's something right, interesting right. and I think that's what again uh, this sounds up itself sorry but art allows you to do and definitely even in filmmaking and storytelling is to explore those other sides those other recesses of your mind and um, you know I think that's something that if you met me and I don't know how I'm coming across on this but I'm a pretty jovial kind of I think a polite nice person uh, and again, not that there's other side that wants to push an old lady over and or you know walking you know uh, yeah whatever walker, but but I think that uh, you know that's something I think people would be surprised about. And I think you can actually see in my work that you know life is complex, and I think telling those stories and 
not just telling extreme parts of an experience just for the sake of being shocking or, or you know, um, tantalizing or something, but you know, that's part of life. Life is messy. Life is not fair. Life is, uh, sometimes unfortunately hateful or, or bad and things happen and like not to shy away from that because, but, but also eventually, because I, I hope I'm this type of person I want to be, but also finding the light in spite of all of that. As I move into the final four before you came on and, and Andre and I were doing our research on you, I share with Andre that in 2010, I was watching a lot of Ancient Aliens was coming on the History Channel. And then right after it would go off, gangs in America would come on. So I travel a lot. So I, mm -hmm. I wrote my little screenplay and, and got it copywritten and all that. And it was about Forrest Gump meets oh an gosh, alien in Scarface. Can I buy so a ticket? It for was that? just uh, it, it was totally <laughs> I, I had my final I had my final draft software because I was all into like it. Went really to a film a little those, studio here. Those like characters into the same story. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. It's, what, what was that, Sean? You say you want to buy it. You say you want to buy the script, Sean. What was that? <laughs> listen, it's free. It's However, free. The only thing is not to ring on your freight. You gotta go out and get the rights to those two characters, and that is going to be very challenging. But other than that, oh, I would want to yeah. like, you, you should go make like a graphic novel of that at least and put it out like in a very indie way. And, you know, that's cool. But that's you, cool. The, the, the funny thing is I told Andre, I was talking to these people and they were young folks. And, and there was one older lady around my age and she's like, the young people were like, yeah. well, who's Forrest Gump? What's Scarface? And then she says to me, well, did the aliens like chocolate? <laughs> and I was like, in the sequel, the aliens will like chocolate. Like, uh, chocolate. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So the first question is, any if you had the ability to have dinner, it's four tables, four chairs at the table, you're in one chair, who would be the other three people at your dinner table, alive or dead? Oh, my gosh. Who and why so... would you have them at your table? Oh man, it's hard because, oh, that is a really tough one. Okay, I know, I've, being asked that question before, I know my number one would be Martin Luther King Jr. And for multiple reasons, I remember like having the opportunity to study him in particular. And uh, if you could, you know, sit down at a table with someone like that, and, and I would, uh, I already can play this out in my head, to just listen to him. And, and also like, I mean, you know, in, in some sense to like have an, some sort of understanding of like, and I'm assuming it would have been like, my, am I traveling back in time prior to his unfortunate assassination or in some way, like, could I have seen the realization of what he could have done if he had lived and all that? Um, so mm. I think for me, because that was someone I was really interested in, I studied quite a bit about, it was just a personal interest. I would love to meet him in particular um, as a music fan. I mean, it keeps going to all these guys that met these sometimes, but like a John Lennon in some sense would be mm. really interesting. I think, um, not so well. If, well, he's kind of but like a, um, you'd want to talk like the craft with Marlon Brando, but I don't know if Marlon. I mean, like he he wasn't so interested as I understand it in talking about you know how he did what he did. I think he wasn't even interested in acting after too long. It, it almost like some would say came so easy to him. He was so much more interested in socio political topics and you know, like, you know, um, uh, civil rights and, you know, that. So it'd be interesting to hear his perspective in that. And this is impossible to answer this question. So, I mean, um, right, right, right. so, right, right. I mean, there's, there's three, I mean, 
I don't know, like yeah. Joan of Arc, like to see like, you know, someone who like yeah. literally like was so, again, you know, impassioned for a cause that they put, I mean, literally they, they died for what they believe. I mean, you know, I mean, a couple of people on the list, I guess, have. So I don't know. It sounds, it does sound so up itself to answer that, but it's like, you know, I mean, yeah. Or like, I mean, look, okay. And then let, let me also talk real. I would love to sit down with. Eddie Murphy or Chris Tucker and just laugh and listen to them, you know, or, yeah. or Dave Chappelle would be amazing yeah. or Theo Vaughn or like, like any of that would be just, you know, just have a laugh, man. Like just see those guys. And you'd sure. hope they'd be funny in real life. I mean, you know, I heard a story where yeah. I think Chris Rock was telling Chris Rock, they had some dinner. I feel like it wasn't that long ago. They were talking, someone was talking at something and it was like Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Eddie Murphy. I hope I'm not getting this wrong. Chris Tucker. And they really did. I mean, it was like, it, they all just, and they were all, they were what you would hope they would be like, you know, because I don't know if you're always going to encounter any Murphy. He's not going to always like, I'm here to make you laugh. You know what I mean? But they just like that. Right, like, can right, you imagine right, right. being a fly on the wall for something like that. Yeah. That would be ex- extraordinary. I, I have yeah. had, I'll tell one little yeah. anecdote, you know, every now and then you get the chance to meet what you would say is, you know, someone that's very known and, you know, hopefully they, there's a reason that they're known that's justified, like they're talented or something right. like that. And in some of those cases, sometimes it can be a letdown, but every now and then it can be also, you can be just blown away and you're like, wow, this is just so neat to see, you know, this individual in their element, you know, talking about what they do and they really are the the best mm-hmm. of the best. You know, listen, I, I would love to meet Muhammad Ali. I mean, can you, that? I think actually I have yeah, to yeah, yeah. put that at the top of the list. I mean, I just to talk about to him, hear about his experiences, yes, as an athlete, but also as a, uh, you know, a political and cultural icon, uh, the, you know, a trailblazer. I mean, I mean, it's, this is just, I, I, I could go on and on. I mean, this is an almost impossible thing to answer, but yeah. it's exciting to think about it. And I'd say we'll see for you yeah, guys because yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. want to sit with you guys too. So there you go. Uh, it all comes back to Drake. Oh, uh, I was, I was yeah, in yeah, the Pittsburgh. Okay. <laughs> I, I was in the Pittsburgh airport and I met Muhammad Ali. Oh my yeah. gosh. What was that like? Did you go up to him? Well, you know, we walked past each other less than two feet away. I said, hi, Mr. Uh, Mr. Muhammad. And because I was so nervous, like, oh, I was like awestruck. And he just smiled at me and he gave me a nod. Dude, and amazing. I didn't want to approach him. He had his security. And it was just so, I mean, I was so humbled because I was walking through and I looked up. I'm like, <gasps> and I didn't want to like rush him like a fan. Right, I just said, hi, right. Mr. Muhammad. And I was like, why didn't I call him Mr. Ali? And, I, and he just smiled and he <laughs> well, listen, nodded. One, one of the most recognized and, and, and it's such a funny word these days, but famous people in the world uh, during his life and even, you know, post so, uh, you know, so w- what do you do with that? I mean, when you see right. someone like that, it's almost like it's seeing something, you know, extraordinary, you know, right. and I do find and I don't know if we just project this on or that, you know, did you find if I may ask smiley, was there like a glow was there something that seemed, you know, you know, if you if it was in a movie Super like human. the ethereal light comes oh. down and shines upon, oh, like a yeah. deity kind of movie. Was, was he hovering or was he walking? Yeah, was he it, hovering? It, it, he was walking. It, it, it was it was literally surreal because I'm walking and then it's like you see ahead. Everyone just pause and looking back, and I'm like, what are they looking at? And I look to my left. He's rocking right by me. And I'm like, hi, Mr. Muhammad. And then he looks at me, gives me a nod and waves. Oh, and yeah. it was an aura. He had like a, a dome of 
greatness just following him through the Pittsburgh airport. And everyone was up there just looking like, there's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my. I was like, I could have grabbed him. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have got body slammed, but he was close <laughs> enough to grab. But <laughs> It's almost overwhelming when so. that happens because it does. It's like a rush of like, you know, all those things that that person represents are now like that energy is in a space with you and you're occupying and they're co-occupying that with. And it is, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a strange phenomenon, you know, and for him, he's, you know, at the end of the day, we know this, it's just a human, it's a person who's, you know, he wasn't a perfect human being, but oh my gosh, did he do extraordinary things and forge an extraordinary path. And that in itself is, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. So tell me this, Sean, what's been your greatest success personally or professionally you choose? Oh man. I mean, this isn't going to be that interesting to people, but for me, it would definitely be the, my children. You know, it really is because I think not before I had kids, I I wouldn't have really, and again, this is not meant to sum up itself, but I wouldn't have really understand that. But then you start to go like, oh, there's a reason that the the cliche, the convention that everybody says, it's like, it really, you know, everything is about, you know, it's family is the most important thing. And like, you know, your children, through your children, it's like this opportunity to really be part of the growth of an individual, a human being. And, you know, you hope you, you know, are, are part part of fostering that in a very positive way. But just to, to be privy to that, to see my children become, you know, to grow is such a privilege, you know, and the fact that I can somehow hopefully help or guide them is the biggest blessing ever. And and I think how that might relate, probably not as in uh, such a grandiose way, but when you're, I keep saying creating art, but like when you're you know, making a film or something, you're, it is that too. It's like your child. You started this like little infancy stage of an idea. It's a seed. It's a little kernel. And then it grows from there and you write and you develop and you get more people interested in it. And all of a sudden it comes together and you birth it to the world and it's out there and it's going to have its own impact and influence. And I think that's – there's an analogy there. There's something that's similar in that way. So, so yeah, probably sure. my kids, man. You know, For sure. Awesome. No, that's cool. And – um. So Superman, he can fly, and the Hulk has his strength, and the Flash is really fast. What what is Sean's superpower? Um, <laughs> trying not to cry all the time is my superpower because <laughs> life is hard, you know. Um, man, that is a good question. That is really hard to answer about oneself. I want to challenge people who might be listening to this, like, how would you answer that about yourself? That is not an easy thing to answer. I almost, you know why it's almost not easy to answer if you drill down on it? Because you almost feel like you have to apologize for what your answer is. Like, it's almost like you're saying something about, you know, oh, well, I think I'm this. And, you know, obviously you shouldn't necessarily have to because we should also embrace our greatness and what's, what makes us individuals, what our superpowers. Because once you recognize that, and this sounds ridiculous what I'm about to say, but you can use it for some good. You can evoke change. You can do great things. And great things doesn't necessarily mean, and not that we should make this a dirty statement, but isn't just about um, necessarily, uh, you know, making money or something like that. It, you know, uh, it, it can be about creating great art and telling great stories. So, I mean, look, for me, I think um, as much as I'm, I truly am an introvert, but I also have my moments where I love being around people and, getting people to, pro- and that sounds so goofy, but, um, and probably not that interesting, but getting people to feel kind of comfortable and communicating with people and, you know, uh, getting them excited about, and, you know, cause I have a lot of passion about what I do and hopefully that kind of feeds into them and they're all of a sudden, you know, so I think in that sense, yeah, that, that would probably be my superpower maybe. Okay. 
Yeah. So <laughs> sounds uh, kind of lame. <laughs> and no, also, I, and also, I can become invisible <laughs> when I set my fingers. That's. <laughs> So. <laughs> I'm going to flip the script a bit with this this last question. So let's say you were to write, direct, and produce a biopic of your life. Oh gosh. What would the title be? What would the title um, be? I don't know why this came to me. And this is, if I thought an hour about this or 10 hours, I'd probably confuse myself and think of a whole bunch of things. But I think, not that this would be a very marketable title, but I would probably call it Surrender. I like it. And um, I think in I some it. way there is what I'm feeling as of late and ask me tomorrow, I might say something different. I think with life and the, the pursuit of happiness, which we are all entitled to, but we don't all get to practice. And sometimes it's because of outside forces. Some, a lot of times it's because of inside forces, but it's just to understand that there's such a flow of it all, isn't there? And there's these, the, 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 the waves come in and the waves go out again. And that's inevitable and they're going to. But it's how you ride that out and surrendering to that. Surrendering to your, your, your passion and just go with it. Don't let people tell you that you can't do something. You know, Don't let yourself, your own anxiety, if that's what you suffer from, or your own inhibition, or your own uh, inability to kind of, you know, uh, prop yourself up, get in the way, and just surrender to it all. And and it's okay. Not everybody's going to love what you do, you know. Not everybody's going to want to come on board. Not everybody's going to finance your movie, you know. Not everybody's going to listen to your podcast all the time. But wait, what? What? You well, know, not Hold you on guys. Yeah, I think. But, but sometimes not fighting against it all and just you know surrender, man. Like surrender. Like yeah. there's something else out there. Whatever your belief system is. There's, there's yeah. things happen in, you know, uh, I do believe in God, but you know, you can say ha happens in his time or her time. I do believe that, you know, and every time something has happened, like I thought, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so devastated. Then, you, you know, six months later, you look back and you go, oh, that's why that didn't happen like that. That's interesting. Yeah. I get it now, but just yeah. surrender, man. <laughs> so I think, yeah, that would be it for now. I like it. I like it. And then surrender part so, two, uh, coming uh, to a theater near you, and surrender like a whole trilogy of surrender. <laughs> yeah, right. I was gonna say, Sean, before I, I get your final thoughts, I just wanted to say real quick before I pass over to, to Smiley, then we'll get your final thoughts. You know, I'm a huge. Um, I enjoy watching movies. I've never had a chance to actually sit down with a producer, mm. director, writer to see and learn what happens behind the scenes. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us, you know, your experiences. Smiley. Yeah, I just wanted to echo what Dre said. I, I was so excited when he said you were going to be on our podcast and and I, I watched the trailer and did some research and and thank you for taking time out on a Sunday, a holiday weekend to to speak with us and our listeners. Uh, your words of wisdom and your experiences will resonate among us all, and, and I love your theme, surrender, surrender to your passion, yeah. because we all are special and unique and have our own superpowers, but we need to leap out on our, our strength and our faith instead of being afraid to just surrender and, and things will happen. So thank you no, for your words. Thank you so much. I think um, uh, there's that great Charles Bukowski quote, like, find what you love and let it kill you. And I think that is in a way the artist's way and then there was another quote i'll get this wrong and i'm not going to attribute to the right person but there's something about it as an artist is someone who goes through life and does not want to be erased and i think all those things if you think about how inspirational 
that is. But I, I actually have to thank you guys. I mean, this means a lot more to me, and dare I say, than even you. It's just a real pleasure and blessing to get a chance to connect with you guys and to get a chance to just chat about it. And, you know, and so this is just amazing. So thank you. And you guys are doing great stuff. And I can't wait to see what you guys do in the future.